Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. Where in every episode I handpick a different piece of short fiction and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. So, y'all, each and every one of the stories that ends up on the podcast is because the story has resonated with me, and some of them take a while to percolate. I'll read them and I'll put them down. I'll forget about them. I'll come back six months later and read it again. And it's like being struck by lightning. This story worked differently for me. And I'll talk more about why that is at the end. It's by the author Nancy Cress, who has one of those mind-boggling kinds of careers where the credits go on and on. And you're wondering, like, wait, how did one person accomplish all of this? She's the author of 33 books, including 26 novels, four collections of short stories, and three books on writing. Her work has won six Nebulas, two Hugos, a Sturgeon, and the John W. Campbell Memorial Award, and her work's been translated into two dozen languages, including, wait for it, Klingon. This piece comes from her collection entitled Fountain of Age, and it also appears in the best of Nancy Cress. Now, Nancy describes this as a horror story. It's the tale of two classmates, both kind of oddballs, but in different ways. They have some of the same interests in common as kids, and that kind of draws them together despite their differences. And they keep gravitating to each other over the course of their adult lives. They both strike me as being somewhat admirable while also being intensely unlikable at times. In short, they're human. So, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Endgame by Nancy Cress.
Alan Dodson was sitting in seventh grade math class, staring at the back of Peggy Corcoran's head, when he had the insight that changed the world. First, his own world, and then eventually, like dominoes toppling in predestined rhythm, everybody else's, until nothing could ever be the same again. Although we didn't, of course, know that back then. The source of the insight was Peggy Corcoran. Alan had sat behind her since third grade. Anderson Blake Corcoran Dodson Duquesne, and never thought her remarkable. Nor was she. It was 1982, and Peggy wore a David Bowie t-shirt and straggly brown braids. But now, staring at the back of her mousy hair, Alan suddenly realized that Peggy's head must be a sloppy mess of skittering thoughts and contradictory feelings and half-buried longings, just as his was. Nobody was what they seemed to be. The realization actually made his stomach royal. In books and movies, characters had one thought at a time. Elementary, my dear Watson, an offer he couldn't refuse. Beam me up, Scotty. But Alan's own mind, when he tried to watch it, was different. Ten more minutes of class. I'm hungry. Gotta pee. The answer is X plus six, you moron. What would it be like to kiss Linda Wilson? Mash on tonight really gotta pee. Locker stuck today. Linda. Eight more minutes. Do the first 16 problems baseball after school. No, not even close. He would have to include his mind watching those thoughts, and then his thoughts about the watching thoughts, and then... And... Peggy Corcoran was doing all that, too. And Linda Wilson. And Jeff Gallagher. And Mr. Henderson, standing at the front of math class. And everyone in the world, all with thoughts zooming through their heads fast as electricity. Thoughts bumping into each other and fighting each other and blotting each other out. A mess inside every mind on the whole earth. Nothing sensible or orderly or predictable. Why, right this minute, Mr. Henderson could be thinking terrible things, even as he assigned the first 16 problems on page 145. Terrible things about Alan Even. Or... Mr. Henderson could be thinking about his lunch, or hating teaching, or planning a murder. You could never know. No one was settled or simple. Nothing could be counted on. Alan had to be carried screaming from math class. I didn't learn any of this until decades later, of course. Alan and I weren't friends, even though we sat across the aisle from each other. Edwards, Farr, Fitzgerald, Gallagher. And after the screaming fit, I thought he was just as weird as everyone else thought. I never taunted Alan like some of the boys or laughed at him like the girls. And a part of me was actually interested in the strange things he sometimes said in class, always looking as if he had no idea how peculiar he sounded. But I wasn't strong enough to go against the herd and make friends with such a loser. The summer before Alan went off to Harvard, we did become, if not friends, then chess companions. You play rotten, Jeff. Alan said to me with his characteristic oblivious candor, but nobody else plays at all. 
So two or three times a week, we sat on his parents' screened porch and battled it out on the chessboard. I never won. Time after time, I slammed out of the house in frustration and shame, vowing not to return. After all, unlike Wimpy Allen, I had better things to do with my time. Girls, cars, James Bond movies. But I always went back. Allen's parents were, I thought even back then, a little frightened by their son's intensity. Mild, hard-working people, fond of golf, they pretty much left Alan alone from his 15th birthday on. As we moved rooks and knights around the chessboard in the gathering darkness of the porch, Alan's mother would timidly offer a pitcher of lemonade and a plate of cookies. She treated both of us with an uneasy respect that, in turn, made me uneasy. That wasn't how parents were supposed to behave. Harvard was a close thing for Alan, despite his astronomical SATs. His grades were spotty because he only did the work in courses he was interested in, and his medical history was even spottier. Bouts of depression when he didn't attend school, two brief hospitalizations in a psychiatric ward, Alan would get absorbed by something, chess, quantum physics, Buddhism, to the point where he couldn't stop until all at once his interest vanished as if it had never existed. Harvard had, I thought, in my 18-year-old wisdom, every reason to be wary. But Alan was a national merit scholar, and when he won the Westinghouse Science Competition for his work on cranial structures in voles, Harvard took him. The night before he left, we had our last match. Alan opened with the conservative Italian game, which told me he was slightly distracted. Twelve moves in, he suddenly said, Jeff, what if you could tidy up your thoughts? The way you tidy up your room every night. Do what? My mother tidied up my room. And what kind of weirdo used words like that anyway? He ignored me. It's sort of like static isn't it? All those straight thoughts in a mind interfering with a clear broadcast. Yeah, that, that's the right analogy. Without the static, we could all think clearer, cleaner. We could see farther before the signal gets lost in uncontrolled noise. In the gloom of the porch, I could barely see his pale, broad-cheeked face. But I had a sudden insight, rare for me that summer. Alan, is that what happened to you that time in seventh grade? Too much static? Yeah. He didn't seem embarrassed, unlike anybody normal. It was as if his embarrassment was too insignificant for this subject. That was the first time I saw it. For a long time, I thought if I could learn to meditate, you know, like Buddhist monks, I could get rid of the static. But meditation doesn't go far enough. Static is still there. You're just not paying attention to it anymore, but it's still there. He moved his bishop. What exactly happened in the seventh grade? I found myself intensely curious, which I covered by staring at the board and making a move. He told me, still unembarrassed, in exhaustive 
detail. Then he added, it should be possible to adjust brain chemicals to eliminate the static, to unclutter the mind. It should. Well, I said, dropping from insight to my more usual sarcasm, maybe you'll do it at Harvard. If you don't get sidetracked by some weird shit like ballet or model railroads. Checkmate, Alan said. I lost track of him after that summer, except for the lengthy Bakersville High School alumni notes, faithfully mailed out every single year by Linda Wilson, who must have had some obsessive compulsiveness of her own. Alan went on to Harvard Medical School. After graduation, he was hired by a prestigious pharmaceutical company and published a lot of scientific articles about topics I couldn't pronounce. He married, divorced, married again, divorced again. Peggy Corcoran, who married my cousin Joe and who knew Alan's second wife, told me at my father's funeral that both ex-wives said the same thing about Alan. He was never emotionally present. I saw him for myself at our 25th reunion. He looked surprisingly the same. Thin, broad-faced, pale. He stood alone in a corner looking so pathetic that I dragged Karen over to him. Hey, Alan. Jeff Gallagher. I know. This is my wife, Karen. He smiled at her, but said nothing. Karen, both outgoing and compassionate, started a flow of small talk, but Alan shut her off in mid-sentence. Jeff, you still play chess? Neither Karen nor I play now, I said pointedly. Oh, there's someone I want you to see, Jeff. Can you come to the lab tomorrow? The lab was 60 miles away in the city, and I had to work the next day. But something about the situation had captured my wife's eclectic and sharply intelligent interest. She said, what is it, Alan, if you don't mind my asking? I don't mind. It's a chess player. I think she might change the world. You mean the big, important chess world, I said. Near Alan, all my teenage sarcasm had returned. Alan, no, the whole world. Please come, Jeff. What time? Karen said. Jeff. Karen, I have a job. Your hours are flexible, she said, which was true. I was a real estate agent working from home. She smiled at me with all her wicked sparkle. I'm sure it will be fascinating. Lucy Hartwick, 25 years old, was tall, slender, and very pretty. I saw Karen, who unfortunately inclined to jealousy, glance at me, but I wasn't attracted to Lucy. There was something cold about her beauty. She barely glanced up at us from a computer in Alan's lab, and her gaze was indifferent. The screen displayed a chess game. Lucy's rating, as measured by computer games, anyway, is 2670, Alan said. So, 2670 was extremely high. Only 20 or so players in the world held ratings above 2700. But I was still in sarcastic mode. 
even as I castigated myself for childishness. Ellen said, six months ago, her rating was 1,400. So six months since she first learned to play, right? We were talking about Lucy bent motionless above the chessboard as if she weren't even present. No, she had played twice a week for five years. That kind of ratings jump for someone with mediocre talent who hadn't studied chess several hours a day for years. It just didn't happen. Karen said, good for you, Lucy. Lucy glanced up blankly and returned to her board. I said, and so just how is this supposed to change the world? Come look at this, Alan said. Without looking back, he strode toward the door. I was getting tired of his games, but Karen followed him, so I followed her. Eccentricity had always intrigued Karen, perhaps because she's so balanced, so sane herself. It was one reason I fell in love with her. Alan held out a mass of graphs, charts, and medical scans, as if he expected me to read them. See, Jeff, these are all Lucy, taken when she's playing chess. The caudate nucleus, which aids the mind in switching gears from one thought to another, shows low activity. So does the thalamus, which processes sensory input. And here, in the... I'm a realtor, Alan, I said more harshly than I intended. What does all this garbage mean? Alan looked at me and said simply, She's done it. Lucy has. She's learned to eliminate the static. What static? I said, even though I remembered perfectly our conversation of 25 years ago. You mean, said Karen, always a quick study, that Lucy can concentrate on one thing at a time without getting distracted? I just said so, didn't I? Alan said. Lucy Hartwick has control of her own mind. When she plays chess, that's all she's doing. As a result, she's now equal to the top echelons of the chess world. But she hasn't actually played any of those top players, has she? I argued. This is just your estimate based on her play against some computer. Same thing, Alan said. Jeff? It is not! Karen peered in surprise at my outrage. Jeff? Alan said. Yes, Jeff. Listen to Carol. Don't... Karen. Do you understand? Lucy somehow achieved total concentration. That lets her just soar ahead in understanding of the things she chooses to focus on. Don't you understand what this could mean for medical research? For... for any field at all? We could solve global warming and cancer and toxic waste and... and everything... As far as I knew, Alan had never been interested in global warming, and a sarcastic reply rose to my lips. But either Alan's face or Karen's hand on my arm stopped me. She said gently, That could be wonderful, Alan. It will be, he said with all the fervor of his seventh grade fit. It will be. What was that all about? Karen said in the car on our way home. Oh, that was just Alan being... Not Alan. You. Me, I said. But even I knew my innocence didn't ring true. 
I'd never seen you like that. You positively sneered at him for what might actually be an enormous breakthrough in brain chemistry. It's just a theory, Karen. 90% of theories collapse as soon as anyone runs controlled experiments. But you, Jeff, you want this one to collapse. I twisted in the driver's seat to look at her face. Karen stared straight ahead, her pretty lips set as concrete. My first instinct was to bluster, but not with Karen. I don't know, I said quietly. Alan has always brought out the worst in me for some reason. Maybe, maybe I'm jealous. A long pause while I concentrated as hard as I could on the road ahead. Yellow divider, do not pass 35 miles per hour pothole ahead. Then Karen's hand rested lightly on my shoulder, and the world was all right again. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. And every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama, to reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Because stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams. Now celebrating 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams is the originator of everyone's favorite Lux Home Blanket. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort, as its ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are each made with premium materials. Get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code PODCAST15. Now, 
Let's get back to our story. After that, I kept in sporadic touch with Alan. Two or three times a year, I'd phone and we'd talk for 15 minutes. Or rather, Alan would talk and I'd listen, struggling with irritability. He never asked about me or Karen. He talked exclusively about his research into various aspects of Lucy Hartwick, her spinal and cranial fluid, her neural firing patterns, her blood and tissue cultures. He spoke of her as if she were no more than a collection of biological puzzles he was determined to solve. And I couldn't imagine what their day-to-day interactions were like. For some reason, I didn't understand. I didn't tell Karen about these conversations. That was the first year. The following June, things changed. Alan's reports, because that's what they were, reports and not conversations, became nonstop complaints. The FDA is taking forever to pass my IND application. Forever! I figured out that IND meant initial new drug and that it must be a green light for his Lucy research. And Lucy has become impossible. She's hardly ever available when I need her, trotting off to chess tournaments around the world, as if chess mattered as much as my work on her. I remembered the long-ago summer when chess mattered to Alan himself more than anything else in the world. I'm just frustrated by the selfishness and the bureaucracy and the politics. Yes, I said. Doesn't Lucy understand how important this could be? The incredible potential for improving the world? Evidently not. I said with mean satisfaction that I disliked myself for. To compensate, I said, Alan, why don't you take a break and come out here for dinner some night? Doesn't a break help with scientific thinking, lead sometimes to real insights? I could feel, even over the phone line, that he'd been on the point of refusal, but my last two sentences stopped him. After a moment, he said, Oh, all right, if you want me to. So ungraciously that it seemed he was granting me an inconvenient favor. Right then, I knew that dinner was going to be a disaster. And it was. But not as much as it would have been without Karen. She didn't take offense when Alan refused to tour her beloved garden, She said nothing when he tasted things and put them down on the tablecloth, dropped bits of food as he chewed, slobbered on the rim of his glass. She listened patiently to Alan's two-hour monologue, nodding and making encouraging little noises. Toward the end, her eyes did glaze a bit, but she never lost her poise and wouldn't let me lose mine either. It's a disgrace. Alan ranted. The FDA is hobbling all productive research with excessive caution for... Do you know what would happen if Jenner had needed FDA approval for his vaccines? We'd all still have smallpox. That's what. If Louis Pasteur... Why don't you play chess with Jeff? Karen said when the meal finally finished. While I clear away here. I exhaled in relief. Chess? was played in silence, 
Moreover, Karen would be stuck with cleaning up after Alan's appalling table manners. I'm not interested in chess anymore, Alan said. Anyway, I have to get back to the lab. Not that Lucy kept her appointment for tests on... She's wasting my time in Turkestan or someplace. Bye. Thanks for dinner. Don't invite him again, Jeff, Karen said to me after Alan left. Please. I, I won't. You were great, sweetheart. Later in bed, I did that thing she likes and I don't by way of saying thank you. Halfway through, however, Karen pushed me away. I only like it when you're really here, she said. Tonight, you're just not focusing on us at all. After she went to sleep, I crept out of bed and turned on the computer in my study. The heavy fragrance of Karen's roses drifted through the window screen. Lucy Hartwick was in Turkmenistan playing in the Chess Olympiad in Ashgabat. Various websites detailed her rocketing rise to the top of the chess world. Articles about her all mentioned that she never socialized with her own or any other team, preferred to eat all her meals alone in her hotel room, and never smiled. I studied the accompanying pictures, trying to see what had happened to Lucy's beauty. She was still slender and long-legged. The lovely features were still there, although obscured by her habitual pose while studying a chessboard, hunched over from the neck like a turtle with two fingers in her slightly open mouth. I had seen that pose somewhere before, but I couldn't remember where. It wasn't appealing, but the loss of Lucy's good looks came from something else. Even for a chess player, the concentration on her face was formidable. It wiped out any hint of any other emotion whatsoever. Good poker players do that too, but not quite in this way. Lucy looked not quite human. Maybe I just thought that because of my complicated feelings about Alan. At 2 a.m., I sneaked back into bed, glad that Karen hadn't woken while I was gone. She's gone, Alan cried over the phone a year later. She's just gone. Who? I said, although of course I knew. Alan, I can't talk now. I have a client coming into the office two minutes from now. You have to come down here. Why? I had ducked all of Alan's calls ever since that awful dinner, changing my home phone to an unlisted number and letting my secretary turn him away at work. I'd only answered now because I was expecting a call from Karen about the time for our next marriage counseling session. Things weren't as good as they used to be. Not really bad, just clouds blocking what used to be steady marital sunshine. I wanted to dispel those clouds before they turned into major thunderstorms. You have to come, Alan repeated, and he started to sob. Embarrassed, I held the phone away from my ear. Grown men didn't cry like that, not to other men. All at once I realized why Alan wanted me to come to the lab. Because he had no other human contact at all. Please, Jeff, Alan whispered. And I snapped, okay. 
Mr. Gallagher, your clients are here, Brittany said at the doorway, and I tried to compose a smile and a good lie. And after all that, Lucy Hartwick wasn't even gone. She sat in Alan's lab, hunched over a chessboard with two fingers in her mouth, just as I had seen her a year ago on the web. The hell, Alan, you said... Unpredictable as ever, he had calmed down since calling me. Now he handed me a sheaf of printouts and medical photos. I flashed back suddenly to the first time I'd come to this lab, when Alan had also thrust on me documents I couldn't read. He just didn't learn. Her white matter has shrunk another 75% since I saw her last, Alan said, as though that were supposed to convey something to me. You said Lucy was gone. She is. She's sitting right there. Alan looked at me. I had the impression that the simple act required enormous effort on his part, like a man trying to drag himself free of a concrete block to which he was chained. He said, I was always jealous of you, you know. It staggered me. My mouth opened, but Alan had already moved back to the concrete block. Just look at these brain scans. 75% less white matter in six months. And these neurotransmitter levels, they... Alan, I said. Sudden cold had seized my heart. Stop! But he babbled on about the caudate nucleus and antibodies attacking the basal ganglia and bidirectional rerouting. I walked over to Lucy and lifted her chessboard off the table. Immediately, she rose and continued playing variations on the board in my arms. I took several steps backward. She followed me, still playing. I hurled the board into the hall, slammed the door, and stood with my back to it. I was 6'1 and 190 pounds. Lucy wasn't even half that. In fact, she appeared to have lost weight so that her slimness had turned gaunt. She didn't try to fight me. Instead, she returned to her table, sat down, and stuck two fingers in her mouth. She's playing in her head, isn't she? I said to Alan. Yes. What does white matter do? It contains axons, which connect neurons in the cerebral cortex to neurons in other parts of the brain, thereby facilitating intracranial communication. Alan sounded like a textbook. You mean it lets some parts of the brain talk to other parts? Well, that's only a crude analogy, but... It lets different thoughts from different parts of the brain reach each other, I said, still staring at Lucy. It makes you aware of more than one thought at a time. Static. Alan began a long technical explanation but I wasn't listening. I remembered now where I'd seen that pose of Lucy's, head pushed forward and two fingers in her mouth, drooling. It had been in an artist's rendering of Queen Elizabeth I in her final days, immobile and unreachable, her mind already gone in advance of her dying body. Lucy's gone, Alan had said. He knew Alan, what baseball team did Babe Ruth play for? He babbled on about neurotransmitters. What was Bobby Fischer's favorite opening move? 
Silently, I begged him, say E4, damn it. He talked about the brain waves of concentrated meditation. Did you know that a tsunami will hit Manhattan tomorrow? He urged overhaul of FDA clinical trial design. I said, as quietly as I could manage, you have it too, don't you? You injected yourself with whatever concoction the FDA wouldn't approve, or you took it as a pill or something. You wanted Lucy's static free state, like some fucking dryer sheet, and so you gave this to yourself from her, and now neither one of you can switch focus at all. The call to me had been Alan's last desperate foray out of his perfect concentration on this project. No, that hadn't been the last. I took him firmly by the shoulders. Alan, what did you mean when you said I was always jealous of you? He blathered on about MRI results. Alan, please, tell me what you meant. But he couldn't. No, I would never know. I called the front desk of the research building. I called 911. Then I called Karen needing to hear her voice, needing to connect with her. But she didn't answer her cell, and the office said she'd left her desk to go home early. Both Alan and Lucy were hospitalized briefly, then released. I never heard the diagnosis, although I suspect it involved an inability to perceive and relate to social interactions or some such psychobabble. Doesn't play well with others, Runs with scissors. Lucy and Alan demonstrated they could physically care for themselves by doing it, so the hospital let them go. Business professionals, I hear, mind their money for them, order their physical lives. Alan has just published another brilliant paper, and Lucy Hartwick is the first female world chess champion. Karen said, they're happy in their own way. If their single-minded focus on their passions makes them oblivious to anything else, well, so what? Maybe that's the price for genius. Maybe, I said, glad that she was talking to me at all. There hadn't been much conversation lately. Karen had refused any more marriage counseling and had turned silent, escaping me by working in the garden. Our roses are the envy of the neighborhood, We have Tuscan Sun, Ruffled Cloud, Mr. Lincoln, Crown Princess, Golden Zest. English roses, hybrid, teas, floribunda, ground cover roses, climbers, shrubs. They glow scarlet, pink, antique apricot, deep gold, delicate, coral. Their combined scent nauseates me. I remember the exact moment that happened. We were in the garden, Karen kneeling beside a flower bed, a wide hat shading her face from the sun so that I couldn't see her eyes. Karen, I said, trying to mask my desperation, do you still love me? Hand me that trowel, will you, Jeff? Karen, please, can we talk about what's happening to us? The Tahitian sunsets are going to be glorious this year. I stared at her at the beads of sweat on her upper lip, the graceful arc of her neck, her 
happy smile. Karen clearing away Alan's dinner dishes, picking up his sloppily dropped food, Lucy with two fingers in her mouth, studying her chestboard and then touching the pieces. No, not possible. Karen reached for the trowel herself as if she'd forgotten I was there. Lucy Hartwig lost her championship to a Russian named Dmitry Chertov. A geneticist at Stanford made a breakthrough in cancer research so important that it grabbed all the headlines for nearly a week. By a coincidence that amused the media, his young daughter won the script's spelling bee. I looked up the geneticist on the internet. A year ago, he'd attended a scientific conference with Alan. A woman in Oregon, some new age type, developed the ability to completely control her brain waves through profound meditation. Her husband is a chess grandmaster. I walk a lot now, when I'm not cleaning or cooking or shopping. Karen quit her job. She barely leaves the garden even to sleep. I kept my job, although I take fewer clients. As I walk, I think about the ones I do have, mulling over various houses they might like. I watch the August trees begin to tinge with early yellow, ponder overhead snatches of conversation, talk to dogs. My walks get longer and longer, and I notice that I've started to time my speed to become interested in running shoes, to investigate transcontinental walking routes. But I try not to think about walking too much. I observe children at frenetic play during the last of their summer vacation. Recall movies I once liked. Wonder at the intricacies of quantum physics. Anticipate what I'll cook for lunch. Sometimes I sing. I recite the few snatches of poetry I learned as a child. Relive great football games. Chat with old ladies on their porches. Add up how many calories I had for breakfast. Sometimes I even mentally rehearse basic chess openings. The Vienna game or the Petrov defense. I let whatever thoughts come that will. Accepting them all. Listening to the static. Because I don't know how much longer I've got. So, you know, the first time I read it, I didn't, I, I guess I didn't remember it. And so I wonder what I was blocking because when I read it like last night again, it, it scared the shit out of me. And so then I had to read it again thinking, what, what, what did I miss? You know, it's, it's so wild when you read anything, you know, at, where, when, at different periods in your life or in, when you're in a different mindset. I mean, the material can take on such wildly different directions in your head, depending upon what's going on with you. And this was certainly one of those times, because the more I read this story, the more I got into the brilliance of how she breaks us down as a reader and brings us into this world of 
this guy who's frustrated by his relationship with someone who is undoubtedly on the spectrum. And sometimes literature can um, bring us to a place of recognition inside ourselves. And I certainly recognized myself in this story. I have been a bipolar two sufferer since my early 20s, and I'm all so familiar with the cycles. And so this story really touched a nerve in me because it so deftly depicted my struggle, that obsession <laughs> that comes with the mania, right? And, uh, and the desire to disconnect from the world in the depression. But stories help, right? Um, they help. Um, they help. This one sure helped me. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith, the best in the business, with help from New York's own Harry Huggins and Renee Colvert out of L.A., one of my favorite humans on the planet. Our editing and sound design by Brendan Burns. Who knew the kid was so, so talented? My thanks today to Nancy Kress for allowing me to read her story. You can find it in her collections, Fountain of Age, and also in The Best of Nancy Kress. And if you liked this story, check out her Yesterday's Kin trilogy, a hard science fiction series exploring the limits of human genetics. And as I said, she's got reams of stories and novels to check out. Visit nancykress.com. And here's an idea. If you like listening to the show, recommend an episode to a friend who you think might enjoy it. And as always, you are welcome to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And why not include a story suggestion for us? We read them. We use them. We love them. We'll be back next week with another hand-picked story. But if you don't want to wait that long, you don't have to. You can get next week's episode plus exclusive bonus interviews on Stitcher Premium. Each story goes up one week early and ad-free. So go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. Or if you're listening in Stitcher, just tap the menu button in your app and select Premium for one month free. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Media. Our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producers are Chris C.B. Bannon and yours truly, LeVar Burton. I am LeVar Burton, and you can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, and check out my latest series called This Is My Story on my Twitter feed and on YouTube. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my Stitcher. 
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.